Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. And now we're not in mid sense. Right, right. So now everybody else is going to wonder about what are we saying and how come they didn't hear it thinking they're late. That's right. That's right. Well, we have, we do have people kind of coming in. Um, Hey, everybody. My name is Melissa Langbeal with Mortgage Collaborative. We will give everybody a couple more minutes to join us and then we'll, we'll get started. Ira, happy Friday, Ira. Melissa, has the uh, temperature down there cooled, cooled off at all? No, it's supposed to get, I think, to 107 this week. We're what? Like at, I know. We're at like the longest streak of over 100 degrees in, I don't know, however many years. Um, it feels like last year, though, was 100 degrees from April till October. So I'm finding it really hard to believe that this is the longest streak ever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's still very hot. Very hot. Although I did golf in it on Sunday. It was 100 degrees and I was still out there. We played 18 holes. So it was, it was fantastic. Very impressive. I hope your uh, golf cart had air conditioning. Nope. <laughs> it does when it moves. <laughs> I, I'm not real sure everybody would consider that air conditioning, but it was at least a really good breeze. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us. Um, My name is Melissa Langdale. I'm with the Mortgage Collaborative. Uh, As always, we are joined by Rob Christman and we are joined this week by Phil Kukafka, which is the Chief Capital Markets Officer for Town Mortgage Corporation. So thanks for uh, joining us, Phil. Oh, you're welcome. And I'm very honored to be here uh, speaking with uh, you two folks. Absolutely. Um, Before we get started, do you want to tell us a little bit about Town? Uh, Sure. Town is a nationwide uh, company. We are licensed in just about every state. Uh, We do retail, wholesale, correspondent. So we're doing uh, all the facets of the business. We uh, securitize the majority of our loans and we do retain the majority of our business right now. So we do have uh, a nice uh, MBS portfolio today. That's fantastic. So when you when you say, I'm just going to jump into the questions here, Melissa. Okay. Immediately off script. So when you said we're we're licensed in just about every state, I guess that means there are some that you're not. And why why would you not be? Well, I'll I'll start with the two easy ones. You got Hawaii and Alaska. We're not licensed in those two states. Um, uh, Hawaii, of course, requires presence there, and we don't have a presence in Hawaii. And uh, the other state we're not licensed in is New York. So New York is uh, probably our biggest state that mortgages are done in. Uh, Of course, that's where I live, too, um, that we're not licensed in. Um, just never had a large desire to get licensed in New York. It's very... uh, has a lot and a lot of regulations around banking in New York. And so we just uh, opted not to uh, move forward with New York. Do you guys do co-op loans? Uh, We do not, which obviously you really have to get into if you're doing New York. Right. And 
The interesting thing about Hawaii, since we're talking, since we're going down this path a little bit, I won't, I won't belabor the topic, but it's interesting if you are servicing loans in Hawaii, the, the place names there and some of the borrower names there are difficult for people to pronounce sometimes. And so if you're servicing loans in Hawaii, it's important to have someone who's Hawaiian to, uh, to, to, to call borrowers or to call the servicing portfolio borrowers to, to talk to them because, because of that. So very interesting. Well, I'll add that to my list as to why we're not doing Hawaii. There you go. So, so what is your day-to-day like? Every day, like what have you been working on today? Uh, so, well, today obviously was a, a pretty large flip from what happened yesterday. You know, yesterday with uh, um, the markets basically completely falling off, interest rates going back over four uh, percent. Today, we're kind of seeing a little bit of a reversal. We're seeing uh, core PCE came out just slightly better than what was anticipated. And I think that kind of helped push the markets up a little bit, coupons down a little bit for those of you kind of get confused with the up and the downs. Um, So just kind of managing that today. Um, At the same time, we are constantly working on additional avenues to to bring more business into the house. We're reviewing our pricing. We're reviewing our spec pricing on a day-to-day basis to be able to improve on our rate rate sheets and be able to pick up more business. Um, On top of that, we are looking at many different avenues for potentially selling some of our MSRs as we are, we feel we're pretty much at pretty much at the top of the market as far as the values that MSRs can go. Um, So we are looking and working on potential other outlets at the same time. So you mentioned spec pools, which is short for specified pools. And uh, I remember when those started, started up and started trading and so forth. And there was always a question uh, from from senior management and from the originators about the pickup that a company might see with specified pools. And just for everybody's benefit, a specified pool is a is, is shorthand for a pool or group of loans that share a common attribute that an investor may want to own. Uh, for example, you might put together a pool of loans of $100,000 or less because there are investors who will pay up for that because of certain refinancing reasons. They think those loans might be on their books longer because it takes more of a rate move in order to to benefit the borrower to refinance. Or you might have a specified pool of loans from the Northwest, thinking that a Northwest bank might want those. So, Phil, are you seeing? What are you seeing? What other attributes are you might you pool together, and what kind of pickup are you seeing? So that's that's something that we do focus on a real lot. We uh, try and create as many spec pools as possible. Obviously, the more volume you have, the more spec pools you're able to create. I would say we're focusing mostly on the low bal spec pools. You know, uh, 
well, we rarely get the below 85s these days with how high uh, home prices are. But, you know, you have the below 85s, the 110s, the 125s, 150, 175, 200, 225, 250. I've even seen some payups for two, 275 and 300s. Um, you usually have to be in the higher coupons to be able to get payups on that. Um, but that's that's the majority of what we're looking on. Um, in older times, you know, just a couple of years ago, we used to do a lot of USDA loans. Uh, we used to wrap together either USDA and low bow pools or just USDA on their own. Uh, we put those together and be able to put those out to bid to uh, a lot of the broker dealers. And we do see a very nice pickup when you're creating those pools. And the... The originators or the constant question, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, <laughs> but you know, the, the pickup, is that, is that something you pass on uh, to originators? Is it something that you help your rate sheet with? Is it posted on your rate sheet? Or is it something that management, that extra pickup, the money from the pickup is something that management uses to put in their pot? in order to just deal with uh, bolstering the balance sheet and dealing with, you know, future buybacks or litigation or whatever overhead might come along. But I'll give you the easy answer. It's all of the above. So you can't actually put a lot of that spec pricing into the rate sheet on day one, because it's not, it's not predetermined that you're going to get it. So every single month I work very closely with the broker dealers and I have quite a few broker dealer relationships and I talk to them and I ask them, what are you guys looking for? How much are you paying up this month? How much, you know, where are you seeing the markets going? Is it going to tighten? Are we going to, is it going to widen? And I kind of build those into my models um, with, you know, we call them spec estimates and you kind of build it in there and it helps we usually use it to help the overall rate sheet. So I could be having a little bit more difficulty on pricing some conventional loans where I'm not getting the same specs as I do get on the government loans. So, you know, we might take a little from Peter to help Paul. Um, and then on the flip side, when we do really well, it helps bolster the overall balance sheet of the company. Yeah, the same thing. Um... Uh, I, I I know Melissa, you were about to ask me where I am uh, up in uh, up in California's Dry Creek area uh, with a bunch of wineries. But the same thing happens with with grapes and grape tonnages based on sugar, based on where they're harvesting the grapes. Certain wineries will pay up for certain attributes, and so the same thing obviously happens with with loan pools and. When you're servicing those loans, Phil, from from different, I assume that that you retain the servicing on those specified pools. Is that correct? That is correct. And do you actually see them performing differently from a servicing perspective than regular vanilla pools? So I will have to say that we we probably don't break it down and look at it that way, but we do look at our overall government performance. And one of the things I have to say, and I have to give a shout out to my servicing team, as they do a wonderful job servicing all of our government loans. We have um, 
you know, as you know, Ginny Mae comes back and they're constantly giving you report cards, comparing you to your peers. And we constantly outperform a lot of our peers and on how our book is, is working, how it's growing, how it's staying intact. And, um, you know, I, I believe a lot of the broker dealers are seeing that too, is we're not a large organization, but we do pretty well in getting spec pricing that's out there. Yeah. So how have you seen, uh, not that we want to spend the whole show talking about spec pools, but I, I think <laughs> hey, it I is interesting. So that's, that's one of my favorite <laughs> things to do. When spec pool day comes around, we get all of our lists together and, uh, you know, basically that's what I'm doing for the whole morning. Let's talk about something not so fun though, oh. which is, which is non-bank CRA requirements. And, you know, that was, these were in the news. They, they have been in the news. A, uh, you know, one of the, the big questions is, you know, if it's independent mortgage banks are not banks, they don't have deposits, they can't, you know, work things that way. New York has been kind of leading the nation almost in terms of IMBs and CRA activity. What's, what's the latest and what, what are companies doing? What are lenders doing? about it, if at all? Um, I, I believe most IMBs are probably not doing anything about it, but I will tell you that um, we do participate in a bunch of other groups, you know, like the uh, CHLA group. We talk to them on a weekly basis. And uh, as you know, or, or, or not, they do put a lot of memos out there working with the FHFA and, uh, all the other different uh, organizations that are out there to basically fight on our behalf and let the powers that be understand what a uh, a burden that would be for especially us mid to smaller size IMBs out there if we were required to do this same as banks are. So any headway? Are you? I mean, are you? Are you? Where do, where do you see the CRA question or issue say a year from now? Um, I, my bet is it's probably not going to be too much further than where it is today. Um, you know, when you come into, uh, the big organizations like that, they, they start going back and forth. And, uh, I have not seen, uh, the latest responses to the, the letters that were written from the CHLA to them. Uh, so I'm, it's kind of up in the air right now for me. Yeah, it's a it's it's not a well, in my opinion, it's not a, it's not a good thing. Uh, it tends to detract from uh, personnel's attention in terms of people have enough on their plates not to have to worry about some of these requirements that would be difficult, if not impossible to to, to meet. Yes. So and I know a lot of the nation is watching what happens in New York. Uh, and watching what happens here in California to see to see where that shakes out. I have a uh, a different question, more of a fun question. Okay. Uh, so, what do what do what do you tell people if when they ask you where you think rates are going? <laughs> what's what's your what's what's your current take on that? So that uh, I actually think this time we've probably got more and or less clarity as to where rates are going than over the last couple um 
meetings that the Fed has had. I mean, I really feel like we're 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 kind of at the top. I like the fact that um, he came out and said that we are not saying what we're doing at any of the next additional meetings. We are going to be looking at the numbers over these next few weeks before the next meeting, and that's going to be the answer. So, uh, you know, I, I'm looking at these numbers, and again, you're you're looking at the numbers and saying, "Oh, we could have a soft landing." You know, the economy looks like it's potentially surviving all of these rate cuts, and at the same time, um, inflation is going down. You mean rate? Increases rate, rate increase. Sorry, rate, rate. Yes, rate. Yeah, I, I get those mixed up yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, always been my problem. I, I, I would say we're we're kind of in. I believe we're in a holding pattern. You know, you're you're in between twenty five basis points up or twenty five basis points down from where we are now through the rest of the year. Do you I'm think sure that's more volatile Phil. than that? Phil, I've got I've got this really good borrower, fifty percent LTV. Deal four hundred thousand dollar loan. Don't know whether to lock today or wait till next week. What do you What would you tell that loan easy, officer? Easy answer. I give the same answer all the time. You should lock. What is it? it you should lock it now. <laughs> really? Period. Period. I I will not comment on whether they should float or or lock a loan right now. I always want them to lock the loans with me today. You heard it here first. There you go. Well, I should, uh, I'll have to, use, I'll have to like do that going forward. It was always, uh, uh, I like to tell people we, you know, I keep a, a quarter on my, on my desk, uh, and flip it. Okay. So, oh, you lock or lock or float, lock or float. And half the time I was right and half the time I was wrong. And, and the loan officers, there's some percentage of them who I was always right just by chance with, and they would follow me to the ends of the earth. Because they thought that they thought that I could predict interest rates, which I can't. Nobody can't. But anyway, we won't go down there. Uh, I'll tell you, my salespeople always call me. They they think I have a crystal ball here, and you know we're predicting interest rates on the day in and day out. I can predict interest rates after I put out my price, and the market's up or down. You know, a certain amount after I put it out, and I could say, well. We're probably going to come out with a rate improvement or a rate worsening in the next half hour. That I can predict. Other than that, I tell you, lock today, lock right now. I like it. I like Rob's like secret to success: just flip a coin, and and it's it's eventually going to be okay for fifty percent of the people. <laughs> yeah, and the, the the funny thing is, I would tell a loan officer or an account executive. You know, the account executive would be sitting in front of a broker. Hey, you know, Susie Smith here is wondering whether she should lock her client's loan today. And I'll say, well, let me, let me look at, let me look at the, let me look at the candlestick pattern I have in my, uh, you know, I, I would make up something, you know, I'm looking at the technicals right now. Oh, I think, I think she should lock. And then, you know, the AE would say to the broker, right? Oh, he thinks she should lock. And then like Susie Smith would argue, well, I don't know if I should lock because, you know, the appraisal hasn't come back, blah, 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 blah. And I would say, well, well, then don't lock. Why are you asking me this? <laughs> she's, she's, she's she's being belligerent. They were hoping you would validate their their uh, their initial. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, Phil, are you 
you know, I, I went to the, to the, the event in New York yeah, and I've been to a few of those and there didn't appear to be much new really going on. What, 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 what was your takeaway from, and I know we're, we're dealing with something that's two months away, but what yeah. was your takeaway from New York and anything new on the horizon? Um, what was the takeaway? Um, I felt a lot of folks were pushing towards non-QM. That is, um, you know, we are, we're, we're starting to do that. We, we have a few non-QM products on our, uh, on our rate sheet today. Um, but I did feel a lot of the regular companies that I, I meet with on a regular basis who are always talking about, you know, Fannie, Freddie, and Jenny, um, they want to buy our product or kind of pushing onto their offering um, a lot more non-QM products, um, you know, going off the bat, you know, a bank statement product or different ways of looking at income. Uh, so I did get a lot of that conversation at, at the uh, conference. How I think you- that was probably the biggest biggest takeaway and and then of course the second thing i would i would say is um a lot more detailed conversations with your warehouse lenders that was the other thing i met with all of my warehouse lenders when we were there and it's not like they asked us any questions that were different than they already asked us but you could feel that they really really were listening at the end listening to the answers with potential follow-up questions on those answers. So I think with the whole issue that we've gone through with the banking industry, it's really put a lot of pressure on our warehouse lenders to really look at their accounts, look at who they're lending money to, and are these good, strong companies that they're lending money to? And if they're not, they have to look into them a lot closer. And I think if you haven't already felt it, you know, that's great. It means you're one of the good, strong companies. If not, you're probably at a minimum going to get a lot more questions than you used to. And I feel that was that was probably the second big thing that I would take away from the conference. Melissa, were you going to ask something? I was going to follow up on non-QM a little bit. I, I was just curious if if um, there were conversations around volume uh, increasing in non-QM or just expansion of product offering in general? Um, I think it was more um, everybody looking to be able to do more volume. With volume being down and all the issues that we're seeing in the market, you know, getting your locks, being able to originate more volume, home prices are up interest rates are up, you know, there's not enough housing to, uh, to give to everybody that's, uh, that wants a house now. Um, how else can you do it? How else can you bring these either younger or not documented income? How do you get them into the market? And they're just saying, you know, non-QM. Yeah, I would, to, to echo that, Melissa, I'd say a year or two ago, it, it seems like we've always heard this is going to be the year for non-QM. This is going to be the year for non-QM. And I do think non-QM, I, I do think non-agency programs in general are very important for loan officers to have in their loan officer quiver uh, because every, you know, every client is is valuable these days. And so it, it would tear me up if I were a loan officer and my company didn't offer something that I could help this borrower with. And so a lot of companies who were 
shying away from, they didn't want to be a non-QM lender, or they didn't want to be known as a bond program lender or a down payment assistance program lender, that, that kind of thing. A lot of that is washed away now. And a lot of lenders are indeed offering you know, jumbo or non-QM or bond programs and so on in an effort to help their, to help their loan officers. Um, I will say that, that mortgage banks, I think, and, and somebody can chime in in the chat here on this, but I would say mortgage banks are more inclined to offer those rather than broker them out. I think initially the mortgage banks tended to broker them more than, you know, to, to a wholesaler who offered that kind of product rather than do them in the in-house. And now I think they're, we're seeing more of them being done in-house because they want that, they need that, they need the profit and they don't certainly don't want to turn away the borrower. But it was a, it was an education process uh, when non-QM was first invented, as it were, QM versus non-QM because of the whole subprime stigma and they aren't subprime loans. I mean, Phil, to your point, or Melissa, just saying, it's it's a valuable program that yeah. uh, you know whether it's a you know the DTI or whether it's a self-employed borrower, or whatever it might be, or DSCR loans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. I think I think they're all important. Uh, so I, I think we'll see more of that going through the, this year and into the next. And non-QM today is very different than subprime was uh, back in the day. Um, Stephen actually put a great comment in the chat that home equity loans um, should be in every non-bank lender's quiver these days. Um, you know, with equity being where it is uh, across the country, I think you know a lot of people are looking at that as kind of an expansion of a product mix. Um, Phil, is that something that you guys are offering? Um, we are not. We are not offering home equities right now. Uh, Way to go, Melissa. Way to go. <laughs> Thanks. You just added something else to my list. All right. I guess this is going to be on Monday morning's uh, uh, executive committee meeting conference now. Great. All right. I'll I'll be quiet. Rob, it's your show now. <laughs> you offer Fannie Freddie loans, Phil? Uh, we, we do a couple Fannie Freddie loans. A couple Okay, good. Uh, yeah. All right. I knew that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so... Let's talk about the the loan level price adjustment roller coaster that we've been on DTI, the hits, the Sandra Thompson changing some things up a little bit. Uh, Phil, do you are, do you find that originators really understand what's going on with with those adjustments? Uh, and and where do you see? Do you think the the FHFA, which oversees Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, do you think they're in a good place now in terms of DTI and low-level price adjustments and so um, on, or or could they improve? I'll say uh, no. Um, I think uh, what they've done is very confusing for a lot of lenders out there, I believe. Um, you also had, uh, when they created it and added, you know, first-time homebuyer, duty to serve, and all those different products, they kind of came out with memos that were not really aligned with each other, uh, both Fannie and Freddie. And then not only were they not aligned with each other, they also kind of had different start dates. One was based off of when the loan was originated or your application was taken. And another one was based off of when you sold your loan to that particular agency. Um, I think now that we're past all of that and 
all the loans basically could fall into any of those buckets. I think it's becoming a lot more understandable. Um, I still see duty to serve being a little bit difficult. Um, we created a whole backend matrix to figure out if the loan does qualify to duty to serve. So when we sell those loans to Fannie and Freddie, we can get that additional pickup. But being able to capture that upfront and being able to give all of that to the borrower, it, it's still a manual process. Um, we have to speak to the borrower. We have to get all the information, all the pertinent information on the particular loan. And then we're manually adjusting the pricing for that borrower after we 100% figure out that it does fall into one of those categories. Because uh, as an example, the duty to serve is not just, oh, the plot needs to be in a rural plot, it needs to be in a rural plot, and it has to be an underserved community, a manufactured home, um, a community that's uh, in need or something like that. Um, and you need to have two boxes checked, not just one, for it to be able to properly qualify. And, and I know when I look at some bid tapes and I see some uh, investors pricing my loans and they're missing it by 200 basis points, I know that they're not pricing it as a duty to serve loan when I know I could sell it to Fannie and Freddie as a duty to serve. Thank goodness I have the option and I can still sell that to Fannie and Freddie as a duty to serve. If I was beholden on the investors, you, you just lose the 200 basis points. Yeah. I know, I know we're almost out of time. Uh, I wanted to ask you one last question and Melissa, maybe you have some other questions, but I want, I want to ask Phil, what is, if you had to pick one thing that you have stressed continually to senior management, to the owners of the company, to the president from a capital markets perspective and them understanding it has helped you in your job, what would it be? Um, I, I'm really throwing, throwing a curveball your way. And I'll give you an example. So when I was doing capital markets every day, it was really an education process for me to get in front of the owner of the company and say, look, we can't, we can't always be the best price every day, day in and day out. It makes no sense without looking at what our overhead is compared to our competitors' overhead. Because if you're, you know, Phil and, and Melissa and Rob's mortgage and we're competing against, you know, for lack of better, you know, Guild or Fairway or Frost Country or Movement or whoever, some big retailer, you know, it's, it's a different overhead structure. So what what is one lesson, what is one thing that you... Uh, continually stress to senior management about what you do? So I'll tell you, um, it's a great question. And you kind of took the answer right out of my mouth for the most part. I will have to tell you that right now I am very lucky because I don't have to make that presentation to my CEO. My CEO has a capital markets background and he actually understands all that. So we do meet every day and we actually go through the margin numbers, how we price our loans. Um, we have our head of sales there and we we talk about what the overhead is as well. So 
um, for me, I don't have to actually stress it to them. It's more of a, a great time for us to communicate together and work together to figure out the best way to price our loans so that we can get the most amount of volume, make the sales folks happy, and at the same time, keep the company where we need to be. So I am lucky. And I will tell you, every other company I've had, I've had to stress exactly what you said, where the CEO doesn't have the same expertise that my current CEO does have. So I am lucky with that. Good answer. Good question. Good answer. Mediocre question. Good answer. <laughs> That's fantastic. We we are right up on time. But before we go, uh, Phil, do you have big plans this weekend? Um, I, I do have to say one other thing. Um, none of this actually works without our operations team and our servicing team doing a great job at processing our loans and keeping our fees as low as possible. Just had to give that shout out to them and the shout out to my uh, capital markets team who does a great job working with me, helping bring all these numbers together and keeping it all, you know, getting everything together so we can all work as efficiently and optimally as possible. I love it. Um, so apparently, uh, Melissa, Phil is uh, treating his entire staff to massages this weekend <laughs> as, a, as a reward for their hard work. <laughs> if any of them want to come to New York, I'll be more than happy to do it. That's awesome. There you go. Melissa, what are you doing this weekend? It's going to be a hundred and whatever. I understand you're golfing Sunday. I will golfing Sunday. Yep. That's our, that's our standard go-to. Uh, we don't really have plans other than that. Um, just a very chill weekend at home. Yeah. How about See, yourself? That's where you, that's where, that's where you say, I'm going to be putting in a sixth day of work for the mortgage collaborative because that's the kind of person I am. Well, I, I actually probably will do a little bit, but I, I didn't want everybody to know about that. <laughs> well, I think I'm going to drink this weekend. Um, so, uh, while, while we, so I'm facing, I'm facing the, the vineyard here, or I should say I'm facing away from the vineyard. I'm facing the driveway of these two wineries there. I've been muting the muting this call. I muted four times when huge semi trucks are going by unmarked semi trucks, I assume filled with wine. Otherwise they wouldn't be going up and down this driveway. So business must be good for these wineries. Uh, so there you go. Actually, I'm not going to drink. I'll, I'll be playing some basketball and hanging out with my granddaughter, doing whatever. That sounds fantastic. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Phil, thank you so much for your expertise. Yes, thank you. All of us today. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. And um, hope everybody has a fantastic weekend. And we will see you again next week. If you have not, by the way, subscribe to our YouTube channel or connected with us through uh, TMC Connects podcast. Uh, please do that and have a great weekend, everybody. Happy weekend. Thank Thanks, Melissa. Bye. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.